Welcome to the Living Anchored Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Shores Church in St. Clair Shores, Michigan. My name is Scott Lorraine, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and we'd love for you to take a few moments and listen to our most recent sermon. We believe that it will bless your life and help you live a life anchored to Jesus Christ. Well, this morning as you give... We're jumping back into the Fear Not series, and last week we talked about Mary, and we talked about the fear of God's plans for our life. And we, we shared about the fact that sometimes we have our own plan, our own thoughts, our own goals, but then God's got something bigger and greater in store that a lot of times can scare us. We, we talked about how God's interruptions are often inconvenient, but God's purposes are greater and different than our plans. That sometimes we have to take our plan that we've made, we've crafted, and we need to put it aside and say, okay, God, I trust you. I believe that your plan is so much greater than what I could ever do on my own. Today, we're gonna be looking at a different fear, and it's the fear of what others think of us. But before we do, if you could repeat with me, your word is, your word is written in my mind. Your word is hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. I choose to live my life according to your word. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1 in a moment as we discuss overcoming the fears that other people may think about us. But I want to do a little test here. Everybody willing to participate for a moment? Okay. If you are ever fearful of what other people think about you, I want you to raise your hand. Okay. And I want you to look at, uh, keep them up, keep them up high. I want you looking at everybody else around you right now. And I want you to point at them and I want you to say this. You didn't raise your hand because you're afraid of what I think about you. (laughs) Here's the thing is for most of us that to some level, we care about what other people think about us. It's, It's varying levels because some of us, we can say, yeah, I used to care a lot when I was a kid and maybe a ton when I was a teenager, but I got over it eventually. Some of us, we never got over it and we really do care about what other people think. A perfect example of this is the midlife crisis. All of a sudden you hit 40, 50 years old, somewhere in that range, and then all of a sudden you go out and you buy a new fancy car because you care about what your neighbor thinks. Or you have to upgrade the house even though your house is perfectly fine because I need other people to think that I have this great thing going for us. There's a reason why there is so much rampant credit card debt in our uh, culture is because everybody is buying things that they don't need to impress people who aren't really even looking or caring about what they're doing. And the reality is we have all of these things going in our minds. But let me even give you a great example. Social media is one of the things that drives this thought process. How many of you have ever posted a picture of what your breakfast or your lunch or dinner look like on Instagram or Facebook? Or oh, raise them up high. Raise them up high. Or your Christmas cookies or whatever it may be. Because look what I can do. 
How many of you have ever really cared about what somebody else is posting for breakfast? Unless it's a scratch and sniff on your phone that I can smell what it, I don't really care. Or you start posting your pictures of your vacation. Remember, there used to be a day where you would take a bunch of pictures and then you'd have everybody over to your house to see what your vacation looked like and everyone's, do I have to really look at these? And now we post them on social media so we don't give people a choice and we're all scrolling through our phones. And today we're going to be looking back in Matthew 1 about Joseph is how he's going to be battling people's opinions of what they think of him. Because in this moment, we have Joseph who is engaged to be married to Mary. But the thing that's different in this culture at this time with Joseph that's different than our culture is this. When you were engaged to be married, it was as if you were already married. You went through about a year process of being engaged. And if the only way out of an engagement was divorce or death. You couldn't just simply say, we didn't agree on the flowers or the venue, so we're breaking it off. It was the equivalent, uh, I'm going to divorce you, or one of us has to die. That was your way out of an engagement at that period of time. So with that in your mind, I want you to hear Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary and Joseph had promised to get married, but before they started to live together, because they're in this period of time of engagement, it became clear that she was going to have a baby. She became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph was faithful to the law, but he did not want to put her to shame in public, so he planned to divorce her quietly. That's going to matter later, so remember that. He planned to divorce her quietly. But as Joseph was thinking about this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. The baby inside her is from the Holy Spirit. She is going to have a son. You must give him the name Jesus. That's because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to bring about what the Lord had said would happen. He had said through the prophet, the virgin is going to have a baby. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. Joseph woke up. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not sleep with her until she gave birth to a son, and Joseph gave him the name Jesus. Now, as we look at this, we talked about a little bit last week with Mary, this whole conversation if you could ever be a fly on the wall of a conversation in the Bible, I think this would be one of the most interesting ones to be. That at first when Mary comes and says, guess what, I'm going to have a baby, it's from the Holy Spirit, I didn't cheat on you. Imagine in our culture today, we start thinking Jerry Springer or uh, Maury of uh, who's the dad, who's the father. All these different thoughts that could be going through Joseph's mind and his instant initial thought is, I'm going to divorce her quietly. And here's why, though, when we, we look at this, from a human perspective, he's got two choices. Let's factor out for a moment the possibility that God actually said it. He's got two options. First is Mary is crazy or Mary is a liar. And he's, he's looking at this. She's either crazy or a liar, and do I really want to, to, to marry her? She's with child. She's either making up a crazy story 
to try and keep me, or she's lying because she did something else and wants to, to blame uh, her actions on God. And so he's really not sure what to do at this point. If I stay with her, what is everybody going to say? What are they going to say about her? What are they going to say about me? In this culture, we mentioned it last week, what Mary found herself in this situation, it was punishable by death because of the, her actions outside of marriage. For Joseph, he gets marked in a different way. First, he either is the guy who got her pregnant outside of marriage, or he was the guy whose uh, fiance cheated on him, and now he's, he's living with both of these impressions of what people are gonna think about him. And so now he's stuck with this other option of, well, I could divorce her, and if I divorce her now, then all of a sudden, this is going to mess me up as well. Because now everybody's going to think, well, Joseph is the guy who divorced Mary, or he got her pregnant and then divorced her. Like, everybody's going to think negatively about me. Everybody's going to think badly about me. Who's ever going to promise their daughter to me in the future? Joseph's entire life plan, all his thoughts, have just completely went out the window. You have Mary who says yes, and she says yes to God's plans over her own plans, but now Joseph is struggling with his thoughts of, I had my whole life planned out for me, and now all of a sudden, everybody's going to think differently. There's no way out. If he stays with Mary, people are going to think differently about him. If he leaves Mary, they're going to think differently about him. His entire life has changed in an instance. And if we look at verse 19, we see this thought process of what am I going to do? I'm going to divorce her quietly. Maybe, just maybe, we can each go our separate ways. We'll, we'll not make a big deal about this. And that Mary can get a fresh start and I can get a fresh start. And hopefully nobody is going to judge us too much or care too much about our actions. But here's the thing that I, I want you to, to know, starting right off the bat, if you're taking notes, this is a, a great one to write down, this is a big thing, is that pleasing God often means disappointing people. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. That if we're going to be looking at things in our life, this is a powerful truth, that God is going to ask you to do something at some point in your life that other people, even other Christians, are going to disagree with you on. They're not going to get it. They're not going to understand it. But the importance is that God said it to you. He didn't say it to them. I'll give you an example. Last week, I kind of broke down a little bit of what my personal call to ministry was, how it all started on a missions trip to Jamaica. And then it was a matter of me walking through a series of doors saying, yes, 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 that eventually wound up with me being here. But one of the things that I remember so distinctly was coming off that missions trip to Jamaica, I came back, I contacted our district superintendent, who was Bill Leach at the time, and I was nervous because what is he going to tell me to do? Is he going to tell me to leave Eastern Michigan, to leave my music education in the background and transfer to a Bible college? And that's what he told me to do, and I didn't feel peace about it, so I didn't do it. And so I went back into my third year at Eastern Michigan, knowing the fact that God had called me to something different, but God hadn't released me yet from Eastern Michigan. And I remember thinking, well, if I start telling my college professors and I start telling my friends that God's called me to something different, I'm going to lose out on some opportunities. 
Maybe I don't make it into the top band. Maybe I don't get to be in the top saxophone quartet. Maybe I don't get this opportunity or that solo or this or that. And I started thinking through, do I, do I tell everybody? I know God's called me to this, but do I start telling everybody about the distinct plans that God has? Because that's going to change everything for me. And I was worried about what other people were going to think, specifically my professor, Dr. Plank. And here's the interesting thing with Dr. Plank that, in a, especially as I drive through some of the, uh, the billboards, if you've paid attention to any of them on 94 when you're driving up and down Eastern Michigan, is currently identified as the number one school backing up LGBT issues in the state of Michigan. But one of the things I loved about Dr. Plank's uh, syllabus that he gave us each and every semester is in the very first uh, couple of pages, it said, your order of importance to uh, in your life is first, your spiritual life, second, your family life, third, your music education. He had his priorities ordered right. So I went to Dr. Plank and I said, hey, this is what happened this summer. I went away thinking that I'm going to come into my third year of music education and now I don't know what's going on. And I remember sitting down with my college professor and talking with him for probably about 45 minutes to an hour about what this meant and what I should do and how I could make my plans go in different directions. And it was one of those moments where I was so worried, well, am I going to lose opportunities, where if anything, I got great, godly, wise counsel from my college professor. As we look back at Matthew 121, it's so powerful. It says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. When we look at it, when God gives us a mission, it's coming from that perspective that Jesus came so that he could save people from their sins. If God has called you to something, even though it may not be popular, even though other people may not agree with you, if God has called you to something, he's got a great plan in store for you. And so we look at Joseph in, in his mind. Here's all the different thoughts that could be racing through is that for centuries, for I believe about 400 years, it was prophesied that a Messiah would come. And that you, this angel is telling me that Mary is carrying that baby, that I'm going to be part of the family that is going to raise Jesus, the one who has come to be Messiah, the one that has come to set people free. I get to be a part of that. And then all of a sudden the pendulum swings back. That what in the world are people going to say about us? I have no idea how difficult this is going to be. Everyone is going to uh, tell me do this or do that or run for your life, divorce her, that she should be put to death by stoning, all of these different thoughts, that God has given me this opportunity, but all society could be saying these things over here. And I think for all of us, it's easy to look with hindsight and say, oh, Joseph, it's going to be perfectly okay. But I think for most of us, if we look at our own lives and we look at moments where we've had struggles or maybe you're in a struggle right now where you really do care about what other people say or an opportunity is about to come and you don't know how to respond, you know God's calling you to do this, but it's going to impact other people. It's easy to tell Joseph, go ahead and go for it. But are we willing to say and to do the same thing in our own lives? Well, today I want to pull out a, a couple different points. But the first one is this, and this is big. So if you're taking notes, this is a perfect opportunity. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. 
Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. God loves you. God has plans for you. God has purpose for you. God has visions and dreams and things that he has called you to do, that he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He knows how many hairs are on the top of your head or how many aren't there on the top of your head. Some of you caught that. And the reality is, is oftentimes we start kind of drifting towards what people think about us. Why? Because a lot of times it's easier to see what's right in front of us than to, to walk by faith like God has called us to do. And suddenly, without meaning, meaning to, we start surrendering our lives to the whims of people who are around us, to other employees, to bosses, to family members, to neighbors, and we start doing what other people want us to do because it's simply easier to do so. Well, the good news, and this is equally as powerful as the statement I just made, it's the flip side of it is this. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. If we start caring more about what God has to say about our lives and what God has called us to, to, to do and how he's uh, given us dreams and visions, then what everybody else thinks about us, those things start fading away. Because our identity is rooted in who God is, not in who other people think us to be or want us to be. Because let's just be real, how many of us in this room tend to be selfish people? We, we put our own priorities first, and when other people think more about themselves, they're going to say, well, I need you to do this. Well, do I need to do this, or do you need me to do this? Where ultimately, God is going to call us to do just the things that God has in store for each and every one of us. That if we start putting what God thinks first, and we put his opinion first, it will change the way we live our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. So how does this all play into normal life? Because this is, it's, on the surface, it sounds great. Like some big, nice thoughts of, yeah, just care more about God and his opinion than man and man's opinion. So let's look at a couple things. First is this. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you are not ready to be used by God. I'll tell you, as, as a youth pastor, I had moments where students didn't agree with the way I played and ran games and that they didn't agree with some of the events and they wanted more of this type of event and more of that. But at the end of the day, there wasn't a ton of criticism that was heaped in my direction. Even in about two and a half years of being here, I've had people that started attending the church that came and gave me their opinion. I said, that's a fantastic opinion, but we all know something about opinions. Everybody has a couple of them, and most of them, like armpits, everybody has a couple of them, and most of them stink. <laughs> and we can laugh because, truthfully, we all have opinions. I'm sure a lot of you, at some point in time, in your life, you said, well, if God made me the pastor of the church, I would do this. We'll come up afterwards, we're going to pray for calls the ministry, and we're going to launch, no, I'm kidding. But here's the thing is, I know what God has called us to do, and I'm walking through the doors that God has called us to, to walk through. And if you drive through our city, what you'll notice is that there's a lot of churches on a lot of street corners. God doesn't need every single church to operate in the exact same way. 
Why? Because if we all were doing the exact same thing as churches, then God would just have one really big church built in the middle of the, the middle of every single city, and we wouldn't need to have all these different churches. But God has different congregations and different pastors and all these different churches all trying to accomplish different components of the ministry that he has for us. And so when someone comes in and says, wow, you really should be doing this, I'll say, hey, you know what? I'll pray about it, but God hasn't spoken that to me. I'm doing what God has spoken uh, for us to do. And I'll, I'll let you know what God has to say. And then all of a sudden, when they don't see it happening, they decide that they want to leave and go somewhere else. And I've reached a point where I'm okay with being criticized in that manner. Because what I'm realizing is I'm not going to bow and bend and change our church based off the opinion of people who come and go because I want to listen to what God says our church is supposed to do. If I try and change our church to the whim of every single person who ever comes up to me and, and gives me an opinion, then what I'll find is that we're not accomplishing the mission that God has for our church to accomplish. I realize the fact that people are going to criticize me, and that's going to happen some days, but I realize that when we start seeing people and more and more people. What I love is every time we do a water baptism, there's multiple people who are getting baptized. That means there's people who are making public declarations to Christ. That means the church is growing. If the church is growing, that means more people are going to continue to be reached by the gospel. That I see the things that are happening inside of our building. Great things are happening. I see opportunities, like even praying at the Christmas tree lighting opportunities are happening. I'm going to trust that God's going to open the doors I'm supposed to walk through, and I don't care what other people have to say about me. If I wanted to not be criticized, I would sell ice cream because everybody loves ice cream. <laughs> Let's be real. Like, how many of you, when the ice cream truck is driving down your street, the only time you don't like it is when it's almost bedtime and you've got the kids ready to go to sleep, and then all of a sudden the ice cream truck music comes on. Then you're like, oh, ice cream man. But usually... People like ice cream. So if you don't want to be criticized, go sell ice cream. But if you're going to do something great for God, prepare yourself to be criticized. Because everybody's got opinions. Everybody has a different thought process. And on one hand, God created us to operate that way. But on the other hand, the thing that we have to remember is we are in a spiritual battle where we are desperately trying to rescue people from the gates of hell and bring them into saving knowledge of who Jesus is. We do not have time to worry about what other people think. All I care about is what does God think? And if I'm doing what God has called me to do, if we as a church are doing what God's called us to do, if you as an individual are doing what God has called you to do, then we are accomplishing the mission that God has put forth for us. So we look at Joseph and we look at Mary and they're going to be criticized probably over and over and over again. You have, in essence, two teenagers who are saying yes to God to having a baby before they finish the process of getting married. Even in today's society, people would look at it and say, ooh, that's not a great idea. That wouldn't be something that we would recommend, but God chooses to use them. They have to prepare themselves to be criticized so that God can do something unique and great through them. Even as you look at your life and you say, well, what about this or what about that? Imagine your own testimony. What is it where God called you to do something different, to let go of something? Maybe he 
called you to leave a job that paid more so that you could do a job that has more meaning. And your salary goes down, but your purpose goes up. Or maybe in a season where you are participating in things, uh, whether it be alcohol or drugs or things where you know it was destroying your life and you have to leave those things behind. And now that also probably means leaving behind friends, maybe family, because you need to move in a completely different direction. You're having to give up something in order to gain something that is so much better. People are going to criticize you and say, well, you could never do that. Well, I could never do that, but all things are, power, are, are possible through Jesus Christ our Lord, that Jesus Christ is the one who gives me strength, that Jesus Christ is the one who's coming along and taking care of me and helping me through the process. So you're right, I can't do it, but he who lives in me is greater than, than who I am. Anything you significant that you want to do for the kingdom of God will eventually be met, met with criticism and resistance. In moments where you feel criticism and resistance coming up, it's the matter of Satan realizing that they're about to do something great. And instead of bowing down and saying, ooh, I'm just going to give up to the pressure, why don't we just push forward? We think of the armor of God. If we were to go walk through every single thing, that put on the helmet of salvation, put on the, the belt of truth. If you notice, there's nothing on the back because the, the church is called to be offensive, to go forward and not retreat. We're given a defensive opportunity with our shield that when we link the shields together, it protects us from the fiery arrows of the evil one. But we are meant to continue to go forward, not retreat. And too often as a church, it's easy to retreat, but ooh, you're right, I'm meeting a little resistance. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'll stop now, let me turn around. No, we go forward and we trust that God is capable to do what he has promised that he was gonna do. This next thought is this, extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary acts of God start with ordinary acts of obedience. A lot of times we look and say, God, I need you to do this amazing thing in my life. Are we willing to be obedient in the small things that he's already called us to do? Where, where do we expect God to just, I need you to come in and I need you to give me a brand new life tomorrow. No, we start with individual, small, ordinary acts of obedience of saying, okay, God, yeah, I'll get into my word. Yes, God, I'll spend time praying. Yes, God, I'll start telling the truth. So, like, I'll, I'll start doing all these small little things that you say yes to. When we look at this, the Savior of the world was born when two teenagers said yes to God. When two teenagers said yes, and a lot of times we look at it, well, the millennials, the Generation Z, they're ruining the world. At this time, imagine, I don't know, whatever we want to call Mary and Joseph's uh, predecessing uh, generations. Imagine that they said, wow, that Mary and Joseph, their generation, they're just going to ruin everything. No, through that generation, all of a sudden, everything changed. Look, let's look at it this way. When it comes to our kids' ministry and when it comes to our youth ministry, we should be pouring everything we have into them and saying, what is it that we can do to help them be willing that if God comes along and says something like he did to Mary and Joseph, that they would say yes, that there would be no doubt, there would be no fear. It would be, okay, God, you call me to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step forward. 
Mary and Joseph needed an angel to show up to say, do this. This is the Holy Spirit happening. But imagine if our kids and our teenagers didn't need that because spirit-filled adults ministered and were a part of their lives and doing every single thing they could so that they would recognize the voice of God. When extraordinary acts of God start, when ordinary acts of obedience happen. And you look at Mary and Joseph and think about this for a moment. They're given no instruction. An angel shows up and says, Mary, you're a virgin. You're about to have a baby. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Name him Jesus. Like, that's what Mary and Joseph get. There's no, I mean, I know that there's never an instruction manual, but I mean, a lot of you including, I know, Annie and myself, it would be nice that, like, you have the, the first child and here's an instruction manual of this is the way you're supposed to raise them. And then the second child comes along and you say, okay, I need an upgraded manual because this one operates differently than the original did. But imagine Jesus. This is the Son of God who is going to wipe away the sins of everybody. We don't want to mess this up. We really don't want to mess this up. I mean, imagine the pressure you feel raising your own kids. Now multiply that by saying you're raising the Son of God. The pressure that came with that, that God gave to two teenagers. Could you imagine Mary and Joseph thinking, do we spank Jesus? <laughs> do we put him in timeout? Like, do we need to get Jesus a timeout chair? Or is Jesus going to be responsible for spanking us and putting us in the timeout chair? Like, what do we do here? They didn't know the details. They didn't know what was happening. They didn't have any of these answers. But here's the thing, and I, if you remember, I said this last week, that outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. So extraordinary acts of God start with ordinary acts of obedience. We just simply do what we're told to do, what God asks us to do, to walk through the doors that God asks us to do, that extraordinary uh, acts of God start simply because we have obedience. But it's not up to us what the outcome of those extraordinary acts are. We just are faithful and consistent to do what God has called us to do. This should be encouraging to us in here because you're not responsible for the outcome. You're responsible for the obedience. It takes some of the pressure off of saying, well, God, do you want this church to be this? Do you want this church to be that? God, are you calling me to start a ministry? Are you calling me to go and tell someone at work about you tomorrow? God's just putting the obedience factor into your hands. If you're willing to obey, then God's willing to take care of the outcome. God's going to take care of everything that's coming your way if you'll let him be in charge. When we look at it with, with Joseph and with Mary, of, okay, what do we do here? Give us the next step. God just simply says, Mary's going to have a baby. Name him Jesus. He's going to be the salvation for the world. They have to deal with what everybody's going to think about them. They have to deal with their plans being changed and God's plans stepping in. And all they're given is the next step. If there was ever a moment where God would have, uh, it would have been really well to give them an entire plan of I've completely rerouted your life. I'm completely changing the way people are going to look at you, talk about you, perceive you. I might be very well making it more difficult for you to be able to get work. 
we're going to change everything about your life, and I'm just giving you the next step. Mary's having a baby, name him Jesus. If there was ever going to be a moment where somebody would get multiple puzzle pieces, multiple plans and instructions, it would be Mary and Joseph, but God doesn't give it to them. He says, here's the next step. Take the next step. Don't worry about anything else. Don't fear. And so we, we see the angel give the instructions, tells Joseph to fear not, and Joseph has to make the choice. I was going to divorce her. I was going to do it quietly. But do I divorce her quietly? Or do I walk this path that this angel just told me that I'm responsible for that, that's right here in front of me? And he has to make a choice. He can be a part of Jesus coming to the world, or he can go his own separate way and live to him what might be the more comfortable life, what might be nicer, easier. And he makes the choice that we would all hope that we would be able to make of saying, yes, I'm, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to stress. God, yes. You have no idea what can be set into motion when you start with a single act of obedience to God. What's God speaking to you? What's God asking you to do? As we've been talking about kingdom builders, maybe, just maybe, it's saying tithing for the very first time. Maybe it's giving to missions for the very first time. And you say, hey, I, I, I don't know if I can do that. What's God asking you to do? What does his word call us to do? I mentioned it earlier about water baptism. We're going to be baptizing people on the 29th. You may say, well, I've never been baptized before. And what are people going to say that I've been a Christian all my life and then all of a sudden I need to get baptized? Don't worry what all of us in this room are going to think. You know what I'm going to think? They're acting out in obedience to what God has called them to do. Baptism is a public declaration of who Jesus Christ is. If he's Lord and Savior of our life, then being water baptized in a room full of people who are going to support you, that's a pretty easy choice. We can look through all these different steps and all these different things, but what is God calling you to do? And we should care more about what God thinks than what man thinks. Because remember, the quickest way to forget about what everybody else thinks about you is to become focused on what God thinks about you. Here's what I want to do this morning. There's a lot of times with an altar call, it's the matter of saying, I want you to come forward and uh, pray, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. This morning, as I look around the room, I know that there's got to be individuals that you're facing something this morning. You're worried about what somebody at work is thinking about you or what a family member is going to be thinking about you because guess what? We're headed into full-on holiday mode and Christmas parties and all of these different things. And it's easy to be worried about what other people may think, but our commandment is to obey God. And if God has called us to something, then we can trust that he is faithful, that he's going to take care of it. All we have to do is be obedient and leave the outcome to him. That if we are obedient, he'll take care of everything else. And imagine if your single act of obedience, of saying yes, allows everything in your life to change. It did for Mary and Joseph. Joseph had to make the choice, what's everybody going to think about me? 
and he chose God over everybody else. Mary last week, she had to make the choice of do I want to walk out my plan or do I want to walk out God's plan? This morning, what I want to do in just a moment, and I want to kind of set it up before I do, is I'm going to ask you all to be a little bit bold. How many of you like being bold? The bold people just raise their hands and the people who don't like being bold kept their hands down. It's okay. I'm going to ask you in a moment to take a bold step because if you're struggling in this area, and it could be numerous things, it could be a job choice that you have to make, it could be a family conversation that needs to happen, it could be the fact that you've never accepted Christ before, but you've always been worried about what other people would think. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to tell you up front and give you a moment to process it, but I'm going to have you stand up exactly where you are. I'm not going to ask for people to close their eyes. I'm not going to ask for people to bow their heads. Because if you need to take a bold step, sometimes you need to have a bold action. And saying, hey, something's going on in my life, and I'm worried about what people think, and I need to take that next step, whatever it may be. In a moment, I'm going to ask you just to stand where you are. And there might be one people, there might be 20 people, I don't know. But then what we're going to do is we're going to pray as a church body, and we're going to come around everybody who stands up. We're not in the, the business this morning of asking every little intricate detail, but we're just going to pray over you. I'm going to allow each of those little pockets, wherever they may be, to pray for you as an individual that stands up. Then I'm going to pray over everybody in general. And then we're going to say the Great Commission. Why? Because we all need to be willing to say, I am willing to be obedient to what God has called me to do in this next step. And once I take that step, my church family is going to surround me and they're going to pray in agreement with me. And then we're going to go out and we're going to make a difference in the world. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let me just say that if this morning your commitment, your, your process is saying, I need to accept Christ, December 29th is your day. Make it that personal commitment today, but on December 29th, we'll water baptize you. And you can make it public in that moment of saying, I want to put Christ first and foremost. I love if I had to adjust all of our schedule on the 29th because we were baptizing 10, 15, 20 people. Imagine a, a day where all of a sudden we've got to fill that baptismal tank each and every single week because there's five people every week that want to get baptized. What a great day that'll be. Because it's about coming into relationship with, with Jesus like we did with communion, of communing together, making public declarations, and then going out and winning the lost. So this morning, if that's you, that you say, I need to make a bold step today. I, I care too much about what people think about whatever the situation is. I'm just going to ask you right now, go ahead and stand up. Anyone else? No need to be afraid. Amen. Anyone else? I don't want to move on. 
All right, you see people who are standing right now, church family, I want you just to come around and surround them. If you have a prayer language, I would just ask you even to pray in tongues as you come and pray over them. But come and let's just surround. I know, obviously, we can't get everybody around everybody, but just come and surround them right now. Begin praying as the Spirit would lead you to pray right now. Father God, Lord, I just lift up right now each of these individuals who just stood up. Lord, I pray over each one of them. But Lord, even if there's somebody else who didn't stand up for whatever reason, Lord, that they're too focused on what someone thinks about them or a situation that's going on in their life, and they need to take that step of obedience. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name for a boldness to come on over them. Just as Mary and Joseph were willing to fear not and to put you first and foremost, be willing to say yes, to take that step of obedience, I pray over each and every one of them right now this moment that you would just give them boldness to walk in obedience, to not worry what man may think, but to only worry about what you may think and what you are calling them to do. Lord, a complete boldness in whether it's situations with work or with family or whatever else it may be, Lord, that you would just give boldness to them right now to have them not just walk, but run in obedience to move quickly in the direction that you would call for them to move. In Jesus' incredible name, amen. All right. If we put up on the screen the Great Commission, because now that we're all saying that we're ready to move in the direction that God's called us to do, this is the direction. So would you repeat with me? So you must go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And you can be sure that I am always with you to the very end. Amen. Next week, we're going to finish this series of Fear Not by talking about the shepherds and talking about the fear of where I stand with God. And a lot of times you hear people say, well, I could never walk in the, into a church because God would strike me with the lightning bolt as soon as I walked in. If you know people like that, invite them next week because we're going to talk about where people stand with God, and I think it would be a very powerful message for them. Have a blessed and wonderful day. I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today on the Living Anchored Podcast. If this message impacted you, please remember to follow so you can see all of our content in the future and share on social media so other people can have their life impacted as well. Our mission at the Shores Church is to help people live a life anchored to Jesus Christ. So your help will definitely help us accomplish our goal. If you're interested in helping support our church financially, please go to theshoreschurch.org, click on Give, and you'll be able to do so that way. Have a blessed and incredible day, and we look forward to having you with us next time.